Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night, wherever you are in the world, and welcome to another episode from the Grandstands. Today, we're getting excited for the Super Season Opener at a sodden Sydney Motorsport Park. We talk Test Cricket once again with New Zealand over in South Africa and Australia on their way to Pakistan. Also on the agenda, a wrap-up on our favourite moments from the Winter Olympics that have just concluded. Kiwi gets excited about Super Rugby Pacific. I don't get excited about the Premier League, and everyone gets excited for the month ahead. All coming to you from the grandstands with myself, Michael Zalawari, and Kiwi Chris Riddell. Good evening, Kiwi. How have you been? Good evening, Michael. Good evening, everybody listening. And I have been amazing. It's been a hell of a month with sport and personal life, but we've got through it to this point. Uh, I can't wait to talk sport with you this time every month as we do. Can you believe that we've already gotten through February, the the shortest month of the year that felt like it was packed full of everything? Uh, well, the Winter Olympics, obviously. Yeah, indeed. But you had, you, you had the uh, the footy coach with their preseason games, cricket ramping up, cricket winding up. It's just been hectic. And then, of course, uh, supercars ramping up as well. We've had all yeah. of the livery reveals for all of the cars now, which is, of course, very, very important. Um, and of testing course. for all the new teams and just everything's in motion now. Yes, and we actually get underway in four days' time. In four is... days' time? It's this weekend! It's this weekend. It feels like it's been a long off season, but hey, I, we would have started earlier because of Nui, but... Hey, let's bring it on. Well, and also we like finished in December with uh, mm. with Bathurst. So it's actually been like a super compressed off season. Yeah, yeah. So uh, new liveries, uh, of course. Uh, a lot of everyone's released their new cars. Of course, uh, new teams, new sponsors, new everything for a few of these guys. Um, the first question I want to ask is, which is the most awful looking cars this year? Because I think there's a few. There's a few that at least on paper. Look a bit garish. The Tickford cars always look friggin' terrible. <laughs> the, the the visual diarrhea that is the um, fifty five usually. The uh, which one's that one now? The 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 Castrol car. I actually think the Castrol car looks not too bad this year. Oh, the Castrol car looks okay. Maybe it's fifty six. The one that's got whatever one it is. It's got like seventeen million sponsors and none of them share color schemes. Yeah, uh, that's that's true. The, I, I I think you might be talking about the the boost car, James Courtney's car, but even then, that looks like mostly okay. They just kind of yeah. like, like I think the boost one that's similar to last year, James Courtney's car, but like Chas Mostert, that's uh, Chas Mostert, uh, Cam Waters' car, the the monster car, it's it's the same. It's matte black with the green, and I mean, I, I guess that still works, but like it's the same. It's basically the same. But hey, if it's good livery, don't change it, right? Uh, I mean, fair. <laughs> Um, I actually really quite like Jake Kostecki's car, just the black with the the yellow yeah. trim with just tradey written on it. I'm sure that one will get a few people in the audience pretty excited. It will. I'm a huge fan of actually um, Nick Perkett's car as well. Uh, the new Walkinshaw car, the NTI one. Yeah. I reckon yeah. they might be my favourite two cars in the field. Yeah, you got the the uh, NTI one from Nick Perkett, which is black and white and just looks stunning. And you got the number two there on the side. Really well done. And then Chaz Mostert's Optus car with a little bit of teal accent as well. I, I like the teal accent. I I, I yeah. wish that Perkat's car had had an accent. I, I like I get NTI's that's their color scheme, but like even if it just had a bit of a red accent, I think that would just make it pop just a little more. That it would, and it would sort of link in with Walkinshaw's history, I guess. Exactly. On a note of Walkinshaw's history, Chris, when was the last time Nick Perkat ran the number two? 
When he won Bathurst? When he won Bathurst in 2011, I believe it was. Mm. So that's, uh, a, that's a pretty cool ho- callback. Yeah, c- cool. Oh, I know what car I was thinking of. It wasn't, it wasn't bloody um, Tickford at all. It was Mark Winterbottom's one. <laughs> yes, the, the Team 18. Like, I think the problem with it is just the clashing colours. Yeah, and the fact they've got a big Fuchs white blob on the front. Oh, yeah, right. Oh, yuck. That's... Yeah. Because blue and yellow is a pretty classic colour combo. Irwin Tools, yeah, it's just it's what they've, you know, we think back to how long they've been around. The blue Sh- and yellow just works. Stone Brothers days. Exactly. Uh, then you've got Bunnings trade with their god of green. It's like caking up the red quarter panel. Oh. And then the... It, it looks like... Honestly, it looks like shit. <laughs> <laughs> holding no punches here. Like See, the yeah, thing yeah. is, they've got basically the same sort of idea on uh, Scott Pye's car with the, the red Toyota forklift thing on the black and white Seiko, but that looks so cool in comparison. Yeah, and I don't know. I think it just looks... I don't know why. I'm not visual. I mean, I guess... I don't know. Red, red, white, and black are so overdone in motorsport, but it's overdone for a reason because it just looks good. It, it, yeah, it's overdone because it works. Mm. Um, the, other car, the other car I like, this might surprise you, the 78, the uh, subway car. I actually was going to say the same thing. It's so different, but it's so good. It's also oh, 76. It's also so good to see a non-traditional sponsor coming in. Yeah, indeed. It's it's good to see that uh, different companies are willing to buy in and mm. make it happen. I mean, it is, well, uh, Team Premier. Uh, is it Team Premier? Yeah, it yeah, is. Team Premier Racing, yeah. Um, so like it is, they are starting at the bottom, but still like a, a full body wrap that that's going to, that's going to look awesome. And it's going to look awesome. Cause it's so different. Yeah. Speaking and of, it, speaking of not yeah. looking different though, uh, what do we think about, uh, the Erebus cars, the Blanchard car, the Panwright cars, the Red Bull car and the Dick Johnson car. Being boring. <laughs> But honestly, the 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 Erebus cars, you know, the boost cars look good anyway. That's true, and it is like an evolution of what they did last year. Yeah. So they they get a pass. They get a pass. Brad Jones, they get a pass as well. They I get guess. a pass, but they also rotate liveries every two weeks. It seems so. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we'll what, we'll it's hard there. hard to be boring when you've got a new livery every week. Yep, Red Bull and DJR. Come on, guys, try harder. I mean, not, maybe not so much for DJR because the shell livery is so iconic nowadays. Oh, but it's the same. Oh, I, I had a go at this in the comments thread on a post on r slash v 8 supercars and I got absolutely flamed. But, like, at least Red Bull change up their trim colours. Like, you know, it's now, like, white and blue. And a few years ago, it was, like, dark blue. And before that, it was red. And so, you know, they're changing up their trim. It's the shell cars. It's literally the same livery. It's the same. It's been the same for five years. It's the same livery. I'm I'm so bored of it. Well, perhaps I won't be up at the front up the front as much as much this year for you to notice it. So good. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not that mean. Um, yeah, I I just I just wish they'd change it up because like there's so many different there's so many different iconic shell liveries like, mm. and I I just don't think it's a good livery anyway i think it's just boring do you hate me yeah. now no i don't hate you because you're right okay that's nice <laughs> i mean as much as i want to disagree i'm not going to disagree for the sake of disagreeing i'm not a politician oof topical 
Probably. Uh, I don't know. Who talks about politics anymore? Certainly not us. Uh, no, not- what we're going to talk about instead is testing uh, and uh, the testing programs uh, at Winton for the Victorian teams and at Queensland for well, Ipswich for the Queensland teams. Uh, what did we learn from testing, Kiwi? What did we learn? We learned that Brock Feeney's gone up to speed pretty quickly. Uh, but really, I don't read too much into testing at all. Yeah, it's one of those things that People like to get all up in arms and excited about testing times and all that sort of stuff, but it's testing is one of those things where the the more boring it is, the better it is. Basically, teams use it to just blow out the cobwebs. To give you an idea of how not serious they take it and took it in Queensland, there was a Porsche Cura Cup car on the track at the same time as the V8 supercars. Yeah, exactly, and you know it almost. It- Almost was an incident where it locked up in front of the car, one of the cars. Yeah, in front of one of the Matt Stone cars. I think that was Todd mm. Hazel behind the wheel as well. Yeah, so it's just a cobweb session, really. And, and you get what three test sessions a year. Yeah, and a cobweb session also just to you know like a verification to make sure that all mm. the all the installs have worked properly and everything's exactly where it needs to be. And the the surprising thing for me was that there just was no surprises. Like the only yeah. incident of note was Kostecki bowling a wide at turn two at Winton. But like other than that, it was they had to manufacture something on the supercars website to actually talk about anything. Yeah, I mean turn two at Winton is so slow. You're not gonna have any real consequences from bowling a wide there. My apologies. So, it wasn't turn two. It was turn five. He did a Scott McLaughlin. Oh well, that's a little. Sorry. That's a little more significant. A little more significant, but for a rookie, that's fine. Mm. So really, all the teams, I mean, for teams like Premier, you know, new team has a chance to make sure their systems are working, but really it's just a case of, yep, we're here now, let's get, let's get, we're back into, back into championship mode now. Let's go, yeah. guys. Yeah, and and back into like back back into the the mood. Like you think about guys like Lee Holdsworth, who's not had a main game start for what is it now, two seasons or a season, mm. and now he's you know gearing up for a race this weekend. So important for him to get uh, get some miles in. Um, and yeah. then on the and then on the flip side, uh, similar story, but the other way around for Fabian Coulthard, who's jumped in. He jumped in for Chaz Mostert's car for a few laps to get an idea of how Mostert sets up a car, to get familiar with that. So remarkably, yeah, remarkably boring is what testing is, which is good. Yeah, yeah it's, not like, it's not like Formula 1 where, you know, everyone gets all very much overzealous and thinking, oh my God, Ferrari's 100 to the head. They're going to win everything this year. It's not like that. And even then, even then, the amount of predictions to see come from those testing sessions mm. and then just end up completely wrong because come the first race week, everyone's got a little bit in their back pocket. Yeah. Sandbags. Exactly right. Uh, now, it is, of course, the first race of the year this weekend. Blimey, that's come on quick. Hasn't it? Indeed. Uh, but, of course, we're back at Sydney again. Yay. Ugh. Yay. To be fair, they're 300k races, so it's not terrible this time because they're actually going to, just like we talked last show, Sydney Motorsport Park works well for long distance races. Yeah, this is true, but I, I'm personally I'm struggling to feel excited about literally our fifth round at the same track in six rounds. Like it's call it oversaturation, but it's oversaturation. Like given everything, it's the best option Supercars had. So yeah, this is true. Uh, you know, with Newey being put on hold once again because of COVID slash construction and like. 
if you wanted to, ba- if you needed to base it in in New South Wales, like I guess you could go back to Bathurst, but even then, you were just at Bathurst, like. Yeah, and what other tracks are there? Orange Park doesn't exist anymore. Oh, you made me sad. <laughs> yeah, so it's the best option. Uh, Wakefield Park. It's Wakefield <laughs> Park. Does Wakefield Park even have an FIA rating? No, but. <laughs> A man can dream. A man, a, a, a man shouldn't dream if it's about Wakefield Park, Chris. Man shouldn't dream. <laughs> True. Uh, what do you think of the format? So you mentioned three hundred kilometer races, uh, a twilight race again on the Saturday night, and a afternoon race on Sunday. Uh, this is similar, but not the same as the last set of races. In fact, it might be the same as the last set of races that we had at the end of last year. Um, do you reckon that's the, the format to go with to start the season? If you think about Adelaide, one of the things that worked there was having the two 250s. So it's, in that way, it's similar. And I like the idea of having a nice long blowout to start the season. The tyre the tire rules in play for this weekend as well are another level of intrigue. I think it's, I think it's great. I, I agree. I think it's better than having a sprint round. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. If you have three 120s, it's not as exciting. And, of course, this is one of the rounds that will be on free-to-air. So mm. having a longer Saturday night primetime free-to-air with none of the footy codes really up and about yet. And it's you've good. got eyeballs on a race for two and a half hours. Yeah, it's good. good way to corner the market early. Good way to build yep. the hype. Um, yeah. I do certainly miss that about Adelaide, though. I don't think... I mean, of the permanent racetracks, Sydney's probably the busiest outside of the bend. Um, so offers the most challenge. Um, but still, it's it's not the same as the arduous, terrifying conditions of, of Adelaide in the summer with the curbs, the, with the with turn eight and the, the margins, all that sort of stuff. The, that's very true. But, and I think it's play more next year. Like for example, if you, the last thing you want, and it's probably one of the only things about Adelaide I didn't necessarily like, there's nothing worse than starting off your season with a wrecked car. Yeah, I mean, Brad Jones is probably <laughs> very Jones, happy. He's breathing a massive sigh of relief with starting at Sydney. Yeah. <laughs> in before two of the two of his four cars gets destroyed in Sydney. Yeah, like I, I totally understand that, but if you wanted a really hard way to start a season, Adelaide was the way to do it. And I think that's in part why Bathurst for me fell flat a little bit last like as in the, the opening round last year. Um, and, and part of that is because it wasn't Bathurst, Bathurst, but because like, it wasn't the same sort of test in that sort of uh, sense. I don't know. I just miss Adelaide is the thing. I really miss, I, I miss the supercars in Adelaide. As do I. Mm. As does everybody, I think. Apart we'll, from... talk, we'll talk a bit that, about that in a sec. Yeah. Uh, yeah. more points on the start of the season. Um, uh, the supports, support action's pretty decent. Uh, we've got Aussie Racing Cars, Toyota 86, uh, Super 2, Touring Car Masters as the support bill. So that's four pretty decent uh, championships. So, I mean... That's the usual supercar support package. So that's not too bad at all. Exactly. Exactly right. Uh, I, I'm pretty excited to see the Aussie Racing Cars tear up Sydney Motorsport Park. If they get a good, a big, large field, they're going to have a whale oh. of a time. And, and they're capable of going five wide into turn one. <laughs> don't test I mean, them they'll do it i mean maybe not on the exit but on the entry at least <laughs> uh yes that's there's absolutely no way that ends in tears at all 
No, of course not. Uh, um, any, anything from that do you think that's missing? Mind, well, we got Super 2, Super 3 combined, I'm, I'm assuming. And that's 34 cars. That's all pretty cool. Oh, I might, I'm not sure that that's actually the case. Oh, they're I, not cheering you read this week? I, yeah, so they got 33 cars. So I assume, okay. yeah, so probably still, uh, yeah, combined. You are correct, sir. My apologies. <laughs> gonna say, I'm sure I was right. Um, it would be the first time. Yes, I'm, it would. <laughs> I'm sorry, that was a bit mean. <laughs> oh, you're right. Oof. Yowch, self-burn. That's rare. But no, I think I'm pretty happy with that support grid, unless you're going to say something like a GT race. But I think it's four support categories plus the main event. Uh, Thursday through Sunday. Fine. The, the, only, the only thing that stands out to me that's like actually missing is Carrera Cup. Yeah. And I'm not just saying that because I'm a Porsche fan. I'm saying that because Carrera Cup would be nuts. And mm. it would be a good... Um, like preview for getting entries involved in Bathurst, uh, the 12 hour that's coming up in May now. Especially now that's gone to a pro-am. Exactly. A- and that Carrera Cup is one of the categories again. Yes. Um, I'm just having a look as well. There's no other category doing a night race, is there? Uh, TCM may be at 7 o'clock on Friday night, but that's qualifying. So I don't know. Uh, where's Sunset? Um, a sunset, at least for me at the moment, sunset's been about quarter past eight and getting slightly earlier. I'm not sure if it's later up uh, in the New South Wales sort of area. Yeah, so supercars is the only night race amongst yeah. all the support categories, which is a bit of a shame because I think you know running. I think last year they ran Carrera Cup at night on the Friday. Yeah, that would have been that. That was cool. Yeah. Um. um but still, we can say that's fine. Seventy and it's, uh, yeah, so that's fine. Are you brave enough to make any predictions? Yes, I am. Okay, let's go. It's gonna absolutely stay be saturated. So, <laughs> <laughs> Shane Vinkersbergen's probably your, your out and out favorite. Yeah, that's another talking point here. I brought up the, of course, if you're not in Australia at the moment, you might be unaware that basically the entire eastern seaboard of Australia is underwater. Um, so Queensland, New South Wales have been just having record deluges uh, in terms of rain to the point where yeah. some some communities have been cut off. Uh, like the cricket ground that Australia, South Australia is meant to be playing in Queensland um, for a Sheffield Shield game is basically underwater. It's kind of messed up. Yeah, Suncorp Stadium was is basically turned into a twenty by twenty meter island surrounded by a sea. Yeah, so it's been it's been a little hackers is uh, a, a clean way, to, a, a nice way to put it. So, um, how's this for uh, tomorrow's forecast? We're, t- we're uh, recording on Wednesday. Uh, sorry, on uh, Thursday. We're recording on Tuesday here tonight. Uh, and, That's charm. And tomorrow's forecast for Sydney is. 150 to 200 millimetres of rain. That's basically what they'd get in a week. That's apocalyptic. Yeah. And that is going to basically continue like that through till Monday. Yes. So, with that in mind, do we see races this weekend? Ooh. That is the big question. We lost the race at Sydney last year because of weather. We lost two races in Sydney last year because of weather. Well, yes. So, I... Oh. 
I know there's been talk of people saying, come on, postpone it already, but I don't think we have a window to do that. So I really hope we do get racing this weekend. Even if it's a 200k race, just give us something, please. Like, rain and rain and rain at the dark, though. That's a terrible combination for these supercars. I think, much like last year, if it rains while they're already racing, we'll be fine until someone bins it. As soon as someone bins it, you're you're done, um, because the track conditions just get too wet without the cars circulating circulating around to keep some of the standing water off of it. Yeah, I. At least, like at least the forecast is improving. They're only expecting forty mil of rain on Sunday, um, which you know still is a lot. Uh, yeah, that's after you've had half a meter's worth of rain before that point. Exactly, that's the thing. Like if if the ground is going to be that soaked, it might just be like it might just be impossible. Do we have any teams sponsored by Outboard Motor Companies? <laughs> Not yet, but. <laughs> I see a window of opportunity here. There is, of course, there is of course the V8 Powerboat series, which may be making a return to Eastern Creek. We never know. Oh, I, I sincerely hope that we get some racing in because, yeah, it's it's it doesn't look pretty. Yeah, and uh, we should probably mention as well. In Queensland, they've had over a meter of rain in some parts, and we've actually had some significant losses there so our thoughts go out to everyone dealing with those flood situations in queensland at the moment and now the top half of new south wales yeah indeed it's a funny old thing this country half of it's mm. underwater and half of it's on fire at any one time yeah uh so yeah fingers arms legs toes and eyes crossed but assuming we do get some racing do you are you brave enough to make some predictions for whether or not we do get racing and what will happen if we do we do Shane Mingus Bergen's yeah, out and out favourite, I reckon. How do you reckon Feeney's going to do? Ugh, baptism of fire. With the 88 on the door as well. With the 88 yeah. on the door. Yeah. Look, I think he's good enough to do well enough that we won't be like, what the hell is he doing? But this is going to be a really tough first race for him. Let's not forget as well, everything in that team has changed. Yeah, absolutely. Um with Couchy gone, Shippy gone, uh, who's who's actually engineering their cars now? I did have a list of that up, and I've just lost it. Um, we are the because, most prepared podcasters, of course. Because because Speed Cafe actually did something with that on Triple Eight. So the Brock Feeney's going to have Martin Short and Jamie because he's got Andrew Edwards, who I think's um, sort of been like the next level down from Couchy and Shippy. So this is going to be really, really interesting for them because while, uh, you know, they have the reigning champion and, uh, you know, the out-and-out best team in the pit lane, the engineering department is almost arguably more important than the actual drivers in the seats. Yeah. And this is one of the reasons why in the livery chat for, in the, in the V8 sub for Nick Percat, where I said he had number two on the car, I made a comment that I reckon Walkinshaw might have t- numbers one and two next year. Ooh, numbers one and two. Yep. And that's we- because and that's because Shippy's at Walkinshaw, isn't he? Yes. And you can guess which of the two drivers he's with. Chaz Mostert and Nick Percat, absolutely. Y- yeah, well and sorry, is Adam Deborah with them? Oh, okay. Yeah. Which, which oh. is a you know, which is just a great partnership. Shippy's I don't know where Shippy's gone to. 
Okie dokie. And, and it's interesting because you kind of get this sort of ladder of because because Couchy hasn't gone to engineer at Grove Racing. He's gone to like manage the team. Um, so as team principal, um, so he's, uh, you know, taking the overarching lead role there, kind of like uh, what um, Jeremy Moore did for Triple Eight last year. Yeah. And of course, Grant McPherson, Sheppy is head of performance at Walkinshaw. So yeah. he's still involved. It's still involved. So he'll still be around that team giving his input, no doubt. So that's kind of scary. And with Chaz's driving ability, where that car, I reckon that car is going to be, the personnel behind it, that's why I reckon they could be one, two. Or like have, have car numbers one and two next year. That's pretty interesting. And it will be certainly, it'll be cool to see which combinations get it right earlier. And that's, that's why, again, it's been good that testing has been boring because if testing has been boring, it means they're actually working through their programs and they're getting closer to that point quicker. One, one point of funniness, Lee Hodsworth engineer this year at Grove Racing. Will Davidson. Not the driver. Not the driver. No, not Will Davidson. And it was very funny how many uh, articles did not clarify that in the title and instead forced you to click it going, wait, what? Yeah. He's, he's been sacked? No, what is this? No, yes. he's fine. He's still racing. And, yeah. his, and his wife is now in the commentary team too. Yes, Rihanna is back, uh, which I'm sure... Like... That's cool. Like Rihanna yeah. was was very good at her job. It's good to have her mm-hmm. back. Um, yes, it is. Yeah, that's that's and that's the only change from the driving from the commentary lineup this year, which is fantastic. Like, uh, like that's really really good to hear. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. after the whole off season malarkey last time with Mark Larkham, it's good that they've stuck with it. And yes, I mean it's the best commentary group in the world, isn't it? Oh yeah. Like you hit. Like I saw in the NASCAR stuff how much they're blowing up about the. Fox commentators on that and i'm just like we're so lucky we are we really are so lucky and mm. it's something that i think people who watch supercars maybe does, don't appreciate because you don't know how good you've got it until you don't uh and so like for for us who watch a lot of worldwide motorsports which maybe doesn't have such a high production value and such a good quality of uh commentary and analysis and that's not because you know, the people behind the scenes are bad at their jobs. It's just because they don't have the experience and expertise and the funding really to do it properly. Uh, the, the fact that we have this as our normal, as our baseline is such a privilege. Absolutely. Only thing that would improve it is when Greg Murphy can finally get over here. <laughs> yes, of course. The Kiwi wants the Kiwi commentator. Ugh. Yeah. Same reason Greg Grass struggles because he's living in New Zealand as well. Oh, really? I didn't realize he'd moved to New Zealand. Yeah. Oh wow! I thought he was still based in um based in Sydney doing stuff. I think with, oh, I think he's got bases in both. Yeah, there you go. I did not know that. I guess also you're like an IndyCar stand now. Oh yeah, <laughs> that didn't take long, did it? No, I mean to be fair, I was kind of I did kind of enjoy it, but now that I've got Stan Sport and Scotty Max won a race, you can't you can't see me, but I'm just shaking my head and rolling my eyes. I think it's going to be a great season, but that's for another podcast. That is, yeah, absolutely for another podcast. Um, I we're not on. Ooh, ouch! No, <laughs> I'm hurt. I'm hurt by that. Um, I would not be surprised to see uh, DJR up near the pointy end again because they were in Sydney at the end of last year. Um, but I think that uh, I think that the Groves. 
And MSR, actually. I, I think that MSR might actually uh, find their way into the top 10. I hope so, that, at least. That's, well, that's, that's fairly bold. Uh, well, I mean, yeah. It, it was interesting to me reading bits and pieces from the testing like notes, uh, how excited Todd Hazelwood was to be back at MSR and in that car. It seemed to me initially like a downgrade, but he seems to ha- be a lot happier and a lot more excited for the coming season. Yeah, I just saw that article then as well. So, you know, he's saying he's relearned how to drive this Triple Eight car. So, well, Triple Eight built car. Hmm. So, yeah, okay, I can see that. Um, and he's got a decent engineer with Chris Stuckey. So, exactly. Possibly? It'll be interesting to see how the totem pole shakes out. Whether or not, for example, Team 18 can continue to hold their place at the edge of the top 10, or if they get overthrown by Erebus or MSR, or where, where Brad Jones slots into that now without Perka. It's, it's going to be a, a fascinating opening to the, the season. If we get, as long as we get a good one, as long as we get a race, yes. like and like I, I'm all for safety in motorsports, but I'd love to see a race. But like, of course, if it's unsafe, you got to call it off. But I'd love to see a race. Yes, I would just love to see something on track, please. And I don't want to come back to Sydney again this year. So can we please just get it done, please? Just pretty please, <laughs> pretty please with sugar on top. Yes. Uh, there is the possibility, though, for a change in the supercars calendar, a very late change, very late on in the season for the supercars calendar. Tell me more. Um, <laughs> there's a bit of a saga to this. So uh, we already mentioned earlier in the show the Adelaide 500, uh, how that has been cancelled. Well, it was cancelled for last season and is uh, currently not on the market to be continued. Um, however, there is a bit of a backstory going on, and there's a very important day coming up this month, which may decide whether or not the Adelaide 500 returns as the season closer for the supercars this year. This year. Ooh, it's not, it's not my baby's birth, is it? <laughs> no, we just hope it doesn't, like, it's not like a Thulu that comes out of there. <laughs> um, oh, of course, you're talking about something in Adelaide, uh, South Australia. Wow, wow, okay. Rude. Um, no, so so there's a bit of a saga. So if let's let's do the a little bit of a catch up. So for those who uh, were not aware, uh, the Adelaide five hundred is the only Supercars Hall of Fame event on the Supercars calendar. That's right, not even Bathurst is the Supercars Hall of Fame event. Um, so it is an event that is cherished by the supercars community as well as the motorsport community in south australia and also just the regular community in south australia um but it is an event run by the state government so the state government forks up the funds for it and uh actually is the promoter of the event so it's not actually a supercars promoted event that's a that's an important thing because most of the uh championship races um, and I think including Newcastle and the Gold Coast and uh, Townsville are supercars run events, supercars promoted events. So yeah. it's actually... Pardon? Yeah, Townsville definitely is. Um, yeah. 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 The only ones I think are actually not supercars run are, as well are Winton. Yeah, because that's run by the uh, Victorian... I, I'm got- not sure if it's the Victorian Regional uh, Car Club or like... Same, same people same people who did the Australian Motor Racing Series. Oh, okay. They're one and the same. Yeah, there you go. And, and the other one's Albert Park, obviously, that's Grand Prix. Yeah. 
Um, and the bend as well is run by the Shaheens themselves, so the operators of the bend. But basically everything else. Supercars events. Um, yeah. So what that means is that uh, the event is basically at the mercy of the state government and uh, the current state government uh, has over their uh, reign, reign? Over their administration uh, has been slowly pulling money, had been slowly pulling money out of the event, which made it into a bad event, which then made allowed them to turn around and say, this event is bad, we don't want to do it anymore. Um, so for those, for those who have been regular attenders of the Adelaide 500, this was clear as day. It was clear as day to see that there was less going on, less, worse use of the facilities and just a, a, a less enjoyable, less involved event to be a part of. Um, now when that event got cancelled, uh, at, in the latter stages of 2020, um, it became a promise by the opposition government that it would, if if they were elected, that they'd bring it back. And they went and doubled down on that by signing a m- m- memorandum of understanding, I think that's the right word, um, yeah. with supercars to say, we are putting in a pre-contract now, effectively. If we get elected, we will run this event. Uh, and that has been basically the cor- one of the cornerstones of the opposition government's uh, campaign. And the state election is this month. So... Pretty big deal. Uh, if the opposition gets voted into government, uh, the we will have the Adelaide 500 again. And like, there's plenty of other political reasons uh, like to vote for whatever, whatever, whatever. But for me, as a fan of the event, as a fan of, uh, of sports, well, car racing and motorsports and cars in South Australia, um, as a fan of things like the festivals that South Australia puts on, and the sort of night city city life and the nightlife around that part of town, I think it's an important thing that the event exists, uh, and I will be putting that to a good effect when I go vote. And like right. again, we don't want to, we don't want to be political, but this is hmm. explicitly a motorsport political issue. Yeah, and three only three seats need to flip, or four seats need to flip for there to be a change. So if you are in South Australia and you do want to see the the supercars come back and all like a bunch of other good reasons why uh, I at least I think it is a good idea to vote for the uh to cast a vote for the Adelaide 500. I I'm really trying to avoid being political like to say yeah. vote labor. No, I don't want you to just do that, but it's it's been Take it the- into consideration. Exactly. Yeah, it's I <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how to be political. I just like yeah. ranting about motorsports. Look, vote, vote however you want, as long as not United Australia Party. That I will agree with. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so and, and like, and if that goes ahead, it will be December fourth. It'll be December fourth this year that we'll have the season finale in Adelaide, which will be awesome. So, if you want, if you want that to happen, and I think it's a good a good idea, that's how you get it to happen effectively. And like, there's a bunch of like a bunch of further reading you could do. Um, there's a journalist uh, who writes for a few Australia, South Australian papers called Kara Jenkin. You can find her uh, on Twitter. I think her handle is um, V8 Girl Kara or something along those lines. She's basically done like two or three articles, basically doing a much better job of explaining the whole situation than I have. And her articles are well worth a read. Uh, and so check that out. 
Are we done with politics? Yes, please. <laughs> Good. Good. Let's talk about cricket. That's never been political in its entire no, history. <laughs> no. No, I can't think of any political issues with that at all. Um, you guys just played South Africa, didn't you? You guys did fairly well. Well, in the first test. Oh, there was a second test? Yeah, let's not talk about that so much because that came, that came to an end today. But yeah, the first test was great. Uh, but, so both test matches were actually held at Hagley Park in Christchurch. No, my my old and one of the favourite grounds and somewhere I've been to. And Your old stomping grounds. Yeah, basically. Oh, that's cute. Yeah. So the first test, which I will talk about a lot more, uh, New Zealand... Oh, so South Africa bolt, uh, batted first. 95! Oof. <laughs> And for those who don't know cricket, 95 is, is bad. That is abysmal. And that was with Matt Henry taking seven. Seven for 23 or 15 overs, which was wow. a phenomenal, phenomenal bowling display. Uh, of course, he was, I think he basically took the role of um, Trent Bolt, who didn't play this match. Yep. And then New Zealand turned around and put 482 on the board. Oof. There, there is an old adage in cricket that you don't dodge a pitch until both teams are, bat- are batted on it, or you don't dodge a score until both teams are batted on it. Yeah. I mean, the pitch, yes, it was somewhat bowler-friendly. It does have a habit of fattening out after day two, but still. 484, did you say? 482. Blimey. With Henry, Henry Nichols scoring 105, Tom Blundell being dismissed for 96, and Mr. Sevenfer, Matt Henry, coming in at 11, knocking 58. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. That is that is outstanding. At, at eleven, lock. at eleven, and hitting fifty-eight. Yeah, yeah. and wow. this was after after Tim Southey went out for four, so it was him and Colin de Grunholm basically just blundering. When, when was the last time you saw a number eleven batsman score a fifty? Uh, Glenn McGrath. Fair <laughs> shout against New Zealand. In fact, yeah, close to a close to a decade ago now. A close to a decade. Try two. Yeah, that would have yeah. been 2004. There is one that is more recent in my memory, and that was Ashton Agar, 98 not out against England yes. in England. Yes, that's true. But he's not really a number 11. I mean, he batted number 11. Yeah, true, true. But you can't... Like, yeah, I mean, like, yeah, I, yeah, but he's not... He's a, he batted number 11. Okay, yeah, fine. For, anyway. For, for the context, number 11 is where you put your worst batsman. Yeah, it's, it's where you put me, basically. Yeah, exactly. You put me at twelve if you could. <laughs> so anyway, uh, so South Africa facing a deficit of four hundred and oh, sorry three hundred and eighty eighty five runs. Start their innings by being three for four. Oof. For those who don't know cricket, that's bad. <laughs> yeah, that's that sounds like a soccer score. <laughs> Basically, yeah. Um, they did fight back a bit and ended up all out for a 111. So over the course of the test match, they scored 200 runs, whereas yep. whereas New Zealand scored 480 in one innings. Yep. So basically that game was over in two and a half days. Blimey. And Matt Henry, another two wickets, obviously man of the match because who the hell else could there, could there be man of the match there? I mean, if you take seven for you, you'd be hard pressed to not get man of the match. Seven for and a 50. And a 50. Yeah, damn. <laughs> What about, so, uh, what about second game, Chris? Uh, second game, South Africa figured out what the heck they were doing. Uh, and basically, we're just all over New Zealand. 364 in the first innings. Uh, bold New Zealand out for 293. 
They're not That's terribly, pretty competitive. Like, it's pretty, pretty competitive, but it took a lot of uh, rebuilding to get to that point. Yeah, so South Africa clearly ahead, but not insurmountably so. Yeah. Uh, that... Uh, 364 was, you know, he had Cyril Irwi, I'm going to struggle with that name. He, if South African plays, knock a ton, he's the South African opener. Yep. And Dean Algo chipped in with 40 up top as well. New Zealand's innings really was saved by Colin de Gronholm and Daryl Mitchell. When they came in, New Zealand were 83 for four. Uh, those two put on 180 between them before Daryl Mitchell was out LBW. And then that oh. that must have been like the collapse at the tail then after that. Yeah, basically, Conor de Grandhold made 120. Mm. And then it was just bang, bang, bang. Neil Wagner put a bit of a fight as he does, as you expect from him. He just he just doesn't know any other way than fighting, batting or bowling. <laughs> that is true. He is a fiery yeah. young man. He is. So yeah, he ended up 293 all out. South Africa's second innings, uh, really, their keeper... Uh, Cole Varian uh, scored 136, not out. So he ended up declaring after 100 overs, 354 for nine. Uh, so that set New Zealand 426, which is not insurmountable. It's pretty you... insurmountable. I mean, look, we've seen it before, and this is, of course, on day four. Mm. Oh, sorry, no, is it day four? Yeah, it's day four. So you can do it if you bat well, and for a while there. We looked like we were in trouble because we had no chance. Yeah. Let's be honest. We were six for two. Uh, Devin Conway tried to save the match with a 92, a gutsy 92. Uh, Tom Brundell chipping with another 100 balls blocked out. But in the end, all out for 227. Looks like you just ran out of bats. Basically. I mean, well, you did because you got all out. Um, interesting that South Africa were able to turn it around from the first test so quickly and come back with... Like, two two innings above 350, that's what you would be after. Yeah. Yeah, that's, you know, that's not too bad at all. And I think we made it to... We, we made it to T, but we made it to T9 down. Oh, so you're yeah. Not gonna, you're not going to bat out two hours for a draw with Neil Wagner and Matt Henry blocking the balls for two hours. Yeah, exactly. Once <laughs> you get to that point, you're in, you're in struggle street. Yeah. So, unfortunately, test, match ended, or test series ended one all. Which pretty much kills New Zealand's chances of making the Test Championship final. Yeah, I had a look at that. So for those who are maybe less familiar with the way that world cricket works at the moment, they've got something called the World Test Championship, which is basically a rolling two-year uh, uh, competition wherein you get scored based on the maximum amount of games you can win. So basically, if you if you play 12 games and you win 10 of them, you've done better than a team that plays eight games and wins six of them. Yeah. So like basically, the, the closer you get to winning all your games, the more likely you are to end up in the final. Um, so New Zealand are the current holders of the, West, or the World Test Championship, aren't they? Are indeed after a great game against India. That Yeah, indeed. And a great two years where they basically just didn't lose... Um, throughout the entire uh, entire cycle. And in fact, had Australia uh, not gotten a freaking uh, penalty for uh, taking forever to bowl their overs in one of their games, they would have been into the final ahead of New Zealand. Well, sucks to be you. Uh, it does sometimes, yeah. Um, <laughs> but at the moment, if, uh, if you guys aren't going to be in the T- World Test Championship final, that's, that's going to be a pretty rough way to 
yeah to for, for this cycle for you guys yeah it's it's tough to see how we can do it from where we are currently six on the ladder with a percentage of 38 uh so it's going to be tough you have to you have to basically just win everything that you play for the next two years. Yeah, which isn't actually that many games. Mm, that's we got a... two. We got two tests against Sri Lanka, three against England, and they're all away. Yeah, oh, sorry. Yeah. The England ones are away. The Sri Lanka ones are at home, so we might win those. But England in England, never easy. No, not at all, and especially with their. Um... Their swing bowling stocks as well. Hopefully, they find some other batsmen other than Joe Root, though. You'd want to hope. Well, yeah. hopefully, they hopefully they realise that um, their old bowlers are still good for one more home season. Oh my gosh, the English cricket team at the moment. My word, the like. I get that they are very very old, and I'm using two varies there to emphasise how old they are in sporting terms. So Jimmy Anderson is what forty one. Yep. And Brody's 36. 36, okay. Yeah. So, why would you not still keep hold of them in your team when they have between them a thousand wickets? Yeah. When they're still good enough to mm. bowl at the top level of cricket. And, like, without even, like, a phone call to say, by the way, we're not taking you to the West Indies. Yeah. Eng- English cricket at the moment are a bit of a shambles. And, like, don't like to write... Well... Don't like to rag on anyone who's doing sport, but if you're going to rag on in- anyone, English cricket is a great target because they just seem to be making bad decisions all the time. And who doesn't like to see England not doing well? English people. Was that the right amount of negatives that said? I'm pretty sure the English. I'm pretty sure the English also like. They don't like to. They love to hate their team. <laughs> the media, especially. That's true. That's true. Um. Uh- Speaking of teams that are making making bad decisions lately. You're not about to say Australia, are you? Yes. Oh, blimey. Here we go. Why, what bad decisions have we made? Well, for one, you got rid of Justin Langer and it was really... I mean, you can, okay, get rid of him if you want, but the way they handled that was probably the worst way I've ever seen Australian cricket handle anything. And they've, Australian cricket is known for being a basket case in sporting circles and the admin side of things. Yeah, off. Um... Look, and and apparently they dropped someone else just tonight. They dropped someone else just tonight. Yeah, I'm just trying, I just I just saw the article before. I'm just trying to get it up again. They, apparently they've sacked someone on the eve of the Pakistan tour. What? Oh my gosh. Okay, so the thing with the thing with Justin Langer, Justin Langer was the coach for the past five years. Generally, they work in five year cycles or five year contracts. Um, I think Langer was a great coach for instilling some sort of personality belief and character into what was a very fragmented uh niche and um isolated group um Mm -hmm. he has always been about playing with heart and playing for the badge and feeling and being a part of every single moment i'm not that he played and that he would instill in those players as well um I am not sure if his technical expertise extends beyond that. And so I am not surprised that at this point in time, Cricket Australia is looking to move on. Um, As far as the ins and outs of how explicitly everything was handled, I have no comment because I wasn't there. I just think it's, it was dumb. Um, 
But it, it, it was. I was, and it was their physio they sacked today. Oh, really? Blimey. Yeah. Like, okay, that's that's an entirely different story. But the best decision they made. They're in Pakistan, international cricket. Back in Pakistan after twelve years. Something along those lines. It would have been 2009 that mm. uh, was the last time that uh, any high-profile team has played a game in Pakistan. So yeah, this... and that, when, when the Sri Lankan uh, team was attacked. Yeah. Yeah, 2009. In Lahore. So this is, this is a huge deal. This is a huge deal. It is difficult mm. to overstate how, how, how big a deal this is. The last, yeah, the last time international cricket was played actually in Pakistan. The last time Pakistan played in Pakistan, the last time, yeah, that test cricket was played in Pakistan was 2009. Um, Australia was meant to go over in 2018, but then pulled out of it, I think. In fact, the last time Australia played in Pakistan was 1998. (laughs) So it's been 20, 24 years since wow, that seems weird to say. Twenty-four years since Australia last played in Pakistan, so it's it's a pretty big deal in terms of um, like international cricket relations. And I know that sounds very dumb to say, but that's absolutely a thing. We are, we don't are we try not to talk about politics here. International cricket is a freaking political landmine in itself. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, no, this is. And they've really ramped up security, something crazy here. Something like 4,000 staff or 4,000 police and security staff will be... Guarding the hotel. For this, basically the six weeks, yeah. Yeah, so the the article I'm reading here is saying that they're given head of state level security. Remember, this is for a bunch of guys who throw a, cricket ball, a, cricket, uh, throw a ball and hit it with a bat. Like yeah. they've been, they've been given literally the royal treatment when it comes to security uh, over the course of the six weeks they're going to be staying there. So it's pretty hardcore. Um, and Australia hasn't just sent over a token team either. It's it's a lot of their a lot of the main players. You know, uh, Pat Cummins, captain. Uh, you know, Harris, Hazelwood, uh, Kawaja, Lavashane, all the guys that you would expect. Um, are there and then also there's a few reserves as well to, to come in and step into the team so it's going to be very very interesting to see how this uh, goes and I am most hopeful that the crowds are respectful the crowds enjoy it and this can be a pilot program for getting cricket back into Pakistan safely yeah, and I think what's going to work in their favour is every game, basically, apart from the second and third test, are at the one ground, the Royal Pindi Stadium. Yeah. So that, from a logistic point of view, that makes things really easy. We're talking, we're talking three tests, three one days, and a T20. So being able to lock that in for such a prolonged period, apart from going to Karachi and Lahore, because mm. you can't not play a game in Lahore. Yeah, clearly. <laughs> because, you know, you're going to get 20 million people at the stadium. Um, I, I saw on r slash cricket that tickets for the first three days are already sold out um i think at for all uh for the first test which is pretty nuts that's pretty cool um of course that's you know that's an eighteen thousand seater stadium so that's fine so i'm really looking forward to seeing how this goes and how australia handled because it's been such a long time since we've seen people play in pakistani conditions yeah, indeed. And, and I don't think anyone knows what's going to happen. And this is a very interesting thing because uh, subcontinental conditions, so, you know, India, Bangladesh, uh, to an extent, 
Pakistan has always been renowned as like the dust bowls, the spinner's paradise, you know, where it will spin like at right angles and it's very, very hard to stay together, like to, to, it's very hard to mentally get through having to concentrate that hard every single ball. But Pakistan has created some incredible swing bowlers as well. And uh, it's kind of the, not the antithesis of the, the sort of dust bowl environment, but it's it's not something that you're very much used to seeing in the subcontinent. You're not used to seeing like good exponents of swing bowling while playing in subcontinental conditions. I think two of the best swing bowlers of all time. Wasim Wasim Akram and, and Wakai Yunus. Yeah. In unison as well. Look at us. <laughs> yeah. We are good. Um, so it'll be... gonna, it's going to be really interesting. So he's like people like Harris Ralph. He is going to absolutely, and he's from Royal Pindi. So he's going to absolutely love it there. Love playing there. He's going to, I reckon he's going to be the bowler to watch from the Pakistani side. Okay. I was leaning more towards Sahin Shah Afridi. Um, who's, yeah, the Asians are very good. Yeah, who's basically the the Pakistan version of uh, of Brett Lee, effectively. But yeah. Yeah, so that'll be, so that, that actually kicks off this weekend, uh, March 4th. So I will be keeping a keen eye on that over the weekend, as well as the, as well as the supercars. Um, so mm-hmm. it'll be good to watch. Absolutely, and there'll be just. I think time zone means it starts about three o'clock Aussie time. Oh, brilliant! Just knock off work, grab a beer, straight for TV. <laughs> yeah, basically, so that's brilliant. That's perfect timing. Perfect timing. Speaking of perfect timing, as well, uh, how good was having the Winter Olympics on this side of the planet? Oh, yes. Nothing. Game. Nothing like nothing. watching abs. Being able to watch like sport in the afternoon. Yeah, starting at two at midday, going through till two in the morning. Perfect. It was absolutely perfect. Um, Winter Olympics, uh, Chris, what did you watch? What did you get around? I didn't watch much the second week because pregnancy stuff, but I really You're got around pregnant? Side- <laughs> oh, it looks like I am, but I'm not. <laughs> no, Sorry. I really got Sorry. Around- <laughs> Still good. I uh, really got around the sliding events, as I alluded to. Um, and that was, I'll come to that later when we talk about our top moments. I. How did I know that was good? Continue. Yep. Sorry. Uh, the short track speed skating. That was awesome. Thank you for turning was, me on to that. That was so good. Yeah, that was just so much fun. A lot of controversy, and I want to touch on that again later as well. Okay. Um, I watched a lot of the downhill skiing as well, because that downhill course, I don't think I've seen anything quite as crazy as that. It was a... It was a killer. It like not a, not a, not a literal killer, but so many so many people missing gates really early on, and it just it it became yeah. a challenge just to get down the course. Like ten seconds, ten seconds into the run, you got this really tricky jump that leads into a gate that you wouldn't normally be able to get into, and then you're done. If you miss it, you're done. That's it. Your Olympics are over. Yeah, so that was fun, and then also obviously the curling I was watching a lot of. Um, that was pretty much my games. What were you into? Um, I also got around the uh, the speed skating. That was awesome. Um, mm. I think having Stephen Bradbury as a commentator for the oh, speed skating. Brilliant. How good. Masterstroke. Masterstroke. I missed Dirk Nannis on commentary. Oh, yeah. That's that's a good point. Um, Damn it. <laughs> Dirk Nannis, again, for those unaware who may not be Australian and don't know who the hell we're talking about, was a Netherlands expat who played cricket for Australia for the Netherlands and also commentated on skating. And it was and was also has competed in World Cup events and moguls. Oh my gosh. Okay. I did not know that about Dirk Nannis. 
Yeah, there's a reason he commentates winter games because he actually used to compete in winter sport. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> um, and I also, because the sliding tended to be the last thing on, um, I watched a bit of that. And of course, I watched all the biathlon. I love oh, the biathlon. Yeah. yeah, the biathlon. What I watched of it was really cool. I'm glad you got me into that a bit. Yes, we got another one. <laughs> Wickathlon has got another victim. We got another victim. There's, there's, there's dozens of us. Um, I, I enjoyed the thing. What I really loved about it was seeing how, because I had this in my mind, like how tough it was, but then I see winds blowing an absolute gale. They were actually missing targets because it's so difficult. And it's just like, holy crap. That, the fact that we're even getting close enough, like they're missing targets and you see it on the camera by like maybe a millimeter. Mm. And it's a target that's what, 40 millimeters wide? It's 45 millimeters wide in the prone, yeah. 111, <laughs> 115 millimeters in the stand. Yeah. And that little margin, and in the event, especially where you're adding a minute on per miss. Oh gosh, that's the worst. Yeah. And um, I think, I think there was one person who had 10 misses over 20 shoots. Yeah, you really feel for someone like that because you know that mm. like there's no point just like even competing. The only reason that you're getting around is just to finish at that yeah. stage. But I did enjoy some what I've watched of that. So yeah, it was it was really really cool. The course in 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 China was really really difficult, and it was a combination of a lot of things. I think like the altitude being what sixteen hundred meters above sea level. Um, the the condi- like the cold. It was like minus 14 minus 15 degrees and then on top of that you add the wind and these really really tough sharp climbs as well it looked it looked like a bad time it looked like a, a, an yeah. olympics where you don't want to be a biathlete <laughs> yes um, and the snow as well yeah as as well the the artificial snow meant that it was really uh like slow slow um slow to skate on um well slow to ski on rather which means that like in an oxygen in an oxygen deficient environment where your body is burning energy just to stay warm and it's windy as as anything you're also gliding slower and having to do more work just to move so it was it looked like a bad time and like even some of the later rounds you could see uh some of the I vividly remember Tirolekov of the Norwegian team uh shivering while trying to shoot like it was it was that bad yeah, it was, I didn't realize it got so blisteringly cold. Yeah, funny that for a winter sport, <laughs> but even more so. Like, it, if it's too cold for the winter athletes, or well, not too cold, but it was crazy. It was pretty. Um, yeah. It was pretty wild. Yeah. The other events I got around was actually the uh, your um big air. You see a ski and snowboard big air events as well. That was just great fun. That there was a bit of a story around that for New Zealand, wasn't there? There was. Is that um, was that one of your? Shall we skip straight to our top three moments? Because I reckon no. this is one of yours. It has to be one of yours. If it's oh, not one of I, yours, you mean uh, the fact that New Zealand finally won a gold medal? Woo! Zoe Zadowski sent it in the woman's slope style. Well, actually, we'll go to the big year first because she came second. She came silver medalist in that with an amazing first trick. But what I loved most about that was how excited she was to come second because of the Austrian who absolutely laid something massive in the final run to Pippa. Yeah, it's that was cool. That that was why the the mm. New Zealand New Zealander winning the slope style 
was also one of my top three moments was because when they got the score, everyone just dogpiled on it. Everyone was so excited. And it, like to see that camaraderie across different nations, across different cultures, <laughs> all coming together to share the uh, the excitement of just playing of doing sport of in the style of uh, uh, in the situation of big air and of snowboarding do some freaking wild shit in midair <laughs> yeah like do some absolute phenomenally dangerous stuff and i think you get a lot of that in extreme sports more than others they just get no matter what it is they just get around each other more yeah. so than you see in like your traditional track and field type sports yeah, I guess because it's 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 freaking cool. <laughs> they, they, they're just they're having fun if they win a gold medal. Great. Yeah, I, I that certainly must be part of it, and it was really it was really wholesome to watch as well. It was, and then of course that was followed up by New Zealand's second gold medal of the games. You got two? I only thought you got one. We well, got a second a few days later. What? Remember, remember the other name I mentioned, Nico Porteous? Oh yeah, men's half pipe. He put a ninety three down in the first run, and he was just able to hold on. Because the, the second run and the third run, he wiped out. The third run, he actually got knocked his head quite badly on the half pipe. Oof. He's okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he won a gold medal, but that's not the way you want to finish your games. Damn. But he won um, a gold medal. He won a gold medal. So as long as you can remember that, he's fine. And that was the ski half pipe as well. Yes, it was. Pretty, pretty wild. Awesome. I didn't realize that New Zealand got two. Does that mean New Zealand was ahead of us on the medal tally? Yes, it was. Oh, that what? No, uh, yeah, I what? Because of course, Australia won one gold medal this game, so I'm sure that's one of your three top moments. Uh, it would be, but I'm struggling to remember when it was. Oof! Well done. I you know. It actually. Oh, okay. So it was. Yeah, it was in the women's moguls. That was right. I remember watching that. I remember watching that live. I did. I did, in fact, see that. It was Jakara Anthony who. Topped every single heat in the moguls, uh, every single elimination round. So the way that the moguls work is that you just get scored on each individual run, and at least for the finals, um, uh, it's basically like a three-shot qualifying for Formula One. You know, you got to get through the first period, and they lose the bottom six. You get through the second period, and they lose the bottom six, and then it's the last six um, who go down. And yeah, she topped every single session. She was the Lewis Hamilton of the women's moguls. It was pretty. Yeah. It was pretty cool. I got to say. Yeah, and she saved her best run to last as well, with the quickest and the most style points as well. This is the thing that I find really difficult about watching freestyle events, is that it's all down to being judged, and I'm not sure, especially for something like the Moguls, which is uh, which is timed as well as it is about style, I'm not sure how... A, the barrier of entry uh, to understanding the sport, as in, to like... How how do you how do you know what's a good score and a bad score? And be then the level of consistency within people who are judging the sport. Because there was a question mark raised over the level of consistency in judging for the snowboarding events as well, yes. and that very much affected one of the Japanese riders, um, yeah. who everyone thought got horrendously underscored, and still managed to come home with a medal, but. Only just. If you're get, if you're getting horrendously underscored and coming home with a medal, that's crazy. I mean, horrendously underscored and then had to do another run. Okay. To get to get that medal spot, but I guess it's the same. Like I look at events like large hill or normal, like the um ski jumping. Yeah. Okay, uh, you might go 120 meters, but that only has a certain point score to it. 
Rest yeah. of it's on form and, form and function. Yeah, see, I don't, I don't get that. And, and mm. for me, at least, like my own personal private personal experience, and I'm sure that there are a lot of people who could very much dissect all of these little things and come up with a, a, a score that agrees with the judges, and that's fine. For me, it is a barrier of entry to enjoying the sport mm. that I can't break through. I think what they need to look at doing, and maybe they can still keep the scores, but just have it on a leaderboard. You can say, okay, this run was better than this run, therefore this run... You don't, don't worry about this presenting the scores to the public. Just have a list. So it can um, be like, hey, I'm, not, I'm not exactly sure about that either. Mm. It's, it's, a, it's a tough one. It, it is a tough one. I'm not going to pretend to have all the answers. Yeah. It's just that, yeah, like... And that's the same reason why I don't like, for example, gymnastics or diving. Like, similar mm. sort of thing. It's all based on scores and opinion. Well... Informed opinions, but still, nevertheless, imp- opinions. Yeah. Well, what I'd like... Okay, I watched a little bit of the, the figure skating as well, and I want to get to that later, because holy crap. Oh, okay. Uh, I did not expect this to be coming from your mouth. <laughs> but what they had... Up in the, but in the score box, I had a little thing with, like, seven or eight boxes, and as each element of the skate was going on, that box would be coloured green or yellow or crossed out if the element was done or not done successfully or not done at all. Yeah, Okay. So you could actually keep track of at least half the score that way. Because in figure skating, you are required to fulfill a certain number of elements in a certain order. So like a certain number of skills in a certain order, right? Yeah. So if someone's come up and done a triple axel successfully, great, that's a green box. If they've only done a double, can that be a cross saying, okay, they've failed on this element. And then that contributes to half the score. Then the other half is sort of like, you know, how they time it with the music and... So there's like a, a a technical score and a and a yeah. like a style score, effectively. Yeah, effectively. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Um, like, and, that, and that sort of solves that problem a bit. Yes, you still get that element of how are they scoring this? Is this consistent? But mm. it sort of alleviates that a bit. Cool. Okay. I'm more okay with that. Mm. I mean, I'm not a big fan of figure skating in general, anyway. But there's there's more to talk about there. Okay. Okay. We'll come to that. Um. So. Your moments of the games, you've of course uh, the, your two gold medals. Are they a, a single moment or are they separate moments? One moment. One moment. Okay. Number two, the sliding, the sliding, and I'm actually going to say the sliding course. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Hit me. Because I thought the sliding course was really, really well done and really well put together and led to some amazing stuff. Cool. Why, what particularly about it made you think it was good? Uh, having the spiral in there actually allowed for some really awesome shots because you had the massive camera zoom, camera pan for like three or four or five seconds as they're on the wall. That looked pretty dope, I must agree. Yeah. I would hate to be that cameraman, though. He'd be very dizzy <laughs> after a while. Incredibly dizzy. The, uh, t- the course, I think, had some really awesome corners. The tail of the dragon was such a fun corner to watch, just to see them get up on one sled or up on the door wall ride. And, and they had a great test of ability. Because, because they called it the tail of the dragon as well, it was just commentary fodder as well. It was. Uh, the Australian commentator, who's been commentating on the signings for so longer than we've been alive, loved it. Yeah. And it's just, just spectacular. I really loved that course, and I think it's great. And... It's the only course on this side of the planet, so I hope we see more of it. Fingers crossed. I I think it will be... I mean, again, don't want to get into politics, but 
I think it will be good to diversify the locations that yeah. these things go to. But of course, winter sports in general is very Eurocentric because that's where the winter is. Um, so yep. that makes that does make things difficult. That's cool. Have, I, yeah. I, I, on reflection, I do agree. I think that the yeah, I, it was a cool course. Sweet. Yeah, they, they did it well. What was your number two? Um, my number two. Well, I didn't even uh, that one. So sorry. Let me try that again. My number two, I think, is a combination of three women who did have done amazing things for a long period of time. Um, so all of these, all of these women ended up with gold medals, but they're all my combined number two for different reasons. So, uh, number the first one, the first lady we're going to talk about is Irene Vost from the Netherlands. And I probably got that name wrong. And I bet Shumi's listening to me right now, smacking his head. Um, Irene Vost, uh, the only woman or the only athlete, I think to have a gold medal in five consecutive winter games. In so she got a gold medal in Torino in 2006 in the 3,000 meter speed skate, a gold medal in Vancouver in 2010 in the 1500 meter speed skate, uh, a gold medal, two gold medals in fact at in Sochi in 2014, and a gold medal at Pyeongchang in the 1500 meter. And she went and got a gold medal in the 1500 meter again. That is 20 years of gold medals in the speed skating. That's awesome. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Uh, and please, she... please, tell, please tell me she's going on to 26. Oh, I, I hope so. That would be <laughs> nuts. Um, she is 35, which means that her first gold medal, if I do my maths right, uh, comes along when she was a 19-year-old. Bloody hell. What were you doing at 19? Uh, moderating r slash WEC. Brilliant. Um, in a similar vein, uh, on the short track version of speed skating, I got to mention Ariana Fontana, who became the equal 10th, uh, most successful winter Olympian, um, with a gold medal and a pair of silver medals, uh, to go along with a, uh, another gold medal from 2018, a silver at 2018 and 2014, and one, two, three, four, five bronze medals, all the way, again, dating back to Torino in uh, 2006. So, 10 Olympic medals for um, for uh, Ariana Fontana. And she took home a gold uh, in the women's 500-meter short track as well. Uh, and then finally, um, on the skiing side of things, uh, I'm going to mention Teresa Johaug uh, from Norway, who somehow, in her career that dates back to 2009... Or 2007 even hadn't got an Olympic gold medal, but she finally got three gold medals after winning literally everything else in the sport of cross country skiing, like ever. So finally, she's got three gold medals, and she won the. I I think she won one of the events. I'm pretty sure it was the classic, the 10 kilometer classic. She won by like one second or something like that. It was crazy. Um. Less than that, 0.4 of a second over a 10-kilometer uh, cross-country time trial. So th- those three women combined for their longevity, for their success, is my second moment of the Games. That's awesome. That's That was incredibly long-winded, but I just wanted to make sure, like to mention all three of them. <laughs> uh, cool. Some, Number three. Moment? Number three. 
the final lap of the Large Hill 10km Nordic Combined. Okay, what happened? So, Nordic Combined, if you don't understand it, is ski jumping then across country. In this case, it was a normal hill jump, then a 10k cross country. The cross country, you get a time deficit based on how you're doing the ski jump. Yeah, so it's like a handicap, effectively. Basically, yeah, and then the first cross the line wins. So, you have a Norwegian by the name of Jarl Magnus Ribber, who starts 44 seconds ahead of his opposition. He's had been in isolation for two weeks because of COVID. This is his first time on track. He's in the lead by about 25 seconds. He takes a wrong turn. Oh, no. So he has to double back and then keep going again. Other things happen in this race, and essentially you get to the last lap where there's a nine-man lead group. Jeez. After <laughs> after everyone jumps off a hill, and then yeah. and then after what the laps would have been, what, 2Ks, 2.5Ks? Yeah, so after 20 minutes of skiing, you got nine people in a group. Far out. Okay. And then just to watch that last lap go, you had the young Magnus Ripper drop back in the end to finish eighth. But even coming in down the last hill, you had four people fighting it out for three podium spots. Damn. Right. In the in, in the end, margin of victory was 0.4 of a second. <laughs> yeah, nice. That's that's what you love to see. Point, and then it was 0.2 of a second back to third. That's like motor racing sort of gaps. Yeah, it was just great fun to watch. And if you can watch a replay, and the guy who won, Jorgen Grabak, Norwegian, he had a two-minute deficit. What? Yeah. That's nuts. Uh, that's, that's on Jan Magnus River. Yeah, okay. Uh, second place was Jens Lorenz Offerbro from Norway. He had a minute 47 deficit. And then third place was Akito Watabe from Japan, who was not really someone you'd associate with, you know, skiing, cross-country skiing, but he's been I, doing it since 2005. I've heard that Japan is actually fairly decently into the ski jumping. Yeah, they are. Yeah. Yeah. He's been doing this since 2005 as well, so he got a bronze medal. <laughs> that's nuts. <laughs> um, And I think it's, yeah, that's his... Fourth, it's actually his fourth um, medal. Was it was his third medal at the time? He won another one in the team event as well. Nice. So yeah, that was my third moment. Just that last lap was great fun. Awesome. I would recommend you watch a replay of that if you can. Okay, I will try to find a replay for the, of that. Yeah, it's on YouTube. My last moment. I again, it's not really just a moment. Uh, oh, I guess I can call it a moment. My last moment was the uh, the Swedish biathlon uh, women's relay team winning the gold medal. Okay. And, yeah, and I, I'll, I'll say I'll tell tell you why. Um, it has been really, really interesting coming into a Winter Olympics, knowing some athletes, like as in as in watching a Winter Olympic, uh, sorry, a Winter Sports Cycle, uh, following the World Cup, watching the events, learning about the athletes, learning about the sport, learning about the teams, and seeing how it all functions. It's been very, very different. It's not something I've ever actually done before. Um being on this side of the planet where, you know, snow is scared of the sun. Um, so to, to be able to, to be able to go into a sequence of events, uh, be able to understand the sport well enough to 
make a prediction and then for that prediction to then come true uh, in this specific event for the team that I've actually been supporting and following as my adopted team, that was pretty cool. And so to to uh, to then, as the follow-on from that, see the Oberg sisters share a gold medal on the podium was pretty cool after saying, and much to uh, Norwegian Petrolhead's chagrin, that Sweden were going to win the gold medal in the women's uh, relay, and him saying, no, it's definitely going to be Norway, and then for Norway to not even get a medal because... Yeah, because they, they messed it up and Sweden didn't. It was great. So that that's my medal. Just gloating on Norwegian Petrohead. <laughs> oh, great moment. <laughs> Who doesn't love a good gloat? Well, uh, we are Australian. It comes with the territory. This is true. We are we are just good at sport. What can I say? Um, exactly. What about uh, anything you didn't like about the Olympics? Any heartbreaking moments for you? Uh, two, well, one big heartbreaking moment, and I want to get this person's name right, but it's the American... Yeah, Michaela Schifrin. She was very well regarded going into these games. She's won two golds at Olympic Games. She's won, you know, she's won events in downhill skiing and Super G slalom and stuff. Yep. She crashed out in two events about 30 seconds in both times. Oh, damn. Uh, Yeah, the first event was the downhill she made it i think 20 seconds in and then missed the gate that was it fell over actually fell over and then the slalom did the similar thing damn that sucks yeah uh and also the american media was incredibly harsh on her and it's just and we've seen this before with american media they really hype their olympic athletes to the point of craziness that when they fail and don't have a great game, so you're treated absolutely miserably. Yeah, it is part of the theatre of sport, I guess. But at the end of the day, part of the theatre of sport is sometimes things go wrong. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, here you go. Yeah. Uh, she, um, it was the fifth gate of each run in the giant slalom and the slalom. Okay. So that would have been she... the, the jump gate that we were talking about earlier. Uh, not the slalom. The slalom. The sl- oh, the slalom's different. Yeah, entirely. Yeah. Yeah. So that she finished, she finished the super G, which wouldn't be that big jump, but that just, and it sucked to see because you could see she was visibly devastated. Ah, uh, the two sides of sport. Hey. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Uh, on a similar note, it was actually very surprising for me to see, um, one of the Dutch, uh, short track speed ca- skaters, uh, Suzanne Schulting, who got two gold medals, I think, and was in the final for another event get so emotional about missing out on that third gold medal um, because she was on. That's like, she she did an interview afterwards. This was after she was like super relaxed in the lead up. She was like dancing around, making jokes, just looking like the calmest thing in the world. But she said afterwards, like she was on. She knew that she was going to win that race, but she got into a bad position passing someone, lost a bunch of time and missed out on the gold. And like, that was... That was it. She was torn up about it. Yeah. And another heartbreaking moment from the speed skating as well. The Japanese team pursuit women's team. Oh my gosh. Yes. They're, oh. last, they're going to win gold. All they're going to do is get around the last corner. And the third person line goes down. Yeah. That was, that was terrifying. Oh, was, that was so sad. And mm. you could see the awful part of, for me was... You could see how much her teammates 
while trying to comfort her, were disgusted with what had just happened. Yeah. Because all, all it took was a moment and she was on the floor and that's it. And and the rules in, in skating pursuit are, are different to the rules in cycling. So in a team pursuit in the velodrome, you only need to get three of the four home. Whereas in the, uh, the speed skating, you need to get all of your team home. It's only three athletes. You need all three of them to get to the line. So... Yeah, as soon as she went down around the last corner, yeah, they that was it. Which was an absolute heartbreak. And feel sorry for them because they, they deserved that gold. They did. They like they were going to win that gold medal. There was no ifs, ands, mm. or buts about it. They were going to win. Yeah. Damn, how good sport. <laughs> well, speaking of how good sport, um, you, you want to talk about things we didn't like so much? And I have a couple. Okay, the... the there's one thing that I really don't like about watching the Olympics, and it's all the time that I'm trying to watch the Olympics, but I can't watch the Olympics because the TV's broadcasting some other bullcrap. <laughs> Give me Chris, some like feel good story about Chris. I don't want to watch a webcam of the family of this athlete celebrating. <laughs> I don't care. I just want to watch more sport. <laughs> wow. <laughs> just let me watch sport, damn it. Oh, that, that was your only dislike. Oh no, I've got, I've got, I've got plenty. Like the fact that okay, I was at work, I was at work during the day, so I missed a bunch of stuff going on during the day, and the, the conditions meant a bunch of, bunch of rescheduling of the cross country events, the downhill events, and uh, you know the Australian curling team got COVID, but we're still allowed to COVID for some reason. Um, you know those were disappointing, and the fact that uh, the two Australian downhill snowboard cross teams crashed out in the same race that kind of sucked. Yep. Um, yep. Yeah. Mine were going to be a bit more brutal than that. Okay. The speed skating, there was the one night, I don't know if we were watching the speed skating this night, but there was Chinese skaters throwing markers at other teams and making them fall over. And judging was all over the place and people being excluded for no reason. We ended up with a seven man final. And I just look at that and just going, what on earth is going on here? You guys are seemingly losing control. You're not really explaining this too well. The commentators don't even know what's going on. Yeah, that was a bit of a farce. It was a bit of a farce. Mm. And, yeah. The other thing that I really disliked happened at the same venue. Yeah? In, ah. in, the, in the figure skating. Go on. The Rus- the, everyone's favourite nation at the moment, the Russians. So we didn't want to get political. <laughs> no, it's not political at all. No, remember it's the Russian Olympic Committee athletes. Oh, yeah, of course, of course. We're not allowed to officially uh, officially mention uh, the Russian Federation because they don't have an Olympic team. It is the Russian Olympic Committee. Yeah, very true. The Russian Olympic Committee, and there's no nice way or easy way to talk about the 15 year old doping case. Yeah, it's just horrible. I'm- every conceivable level 15 yeah at 15 you shouldn't be taking concoctions to do something that may put your health at risk yeah like russia were banned for a reason and those reasons are still persisting what the yeah yeah good call good call how good sport though how good is the olympics (laughs) But hey, let's finish on a positive note. I really enjoyed the games. I really enjoyed the ceremonies too. The ceremonies actually weren't as 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 dry as I was expecting them to be. You know, the ceremonies are always like, oh, look, look at our culture and our celebration. But I thought they were like fairly yeah. cool. 
they were fit and understated. Like even the torch was literally just a torch in a in a ring. It wasn't in a snowflake. It wasn't anything elaborate. Yeah, it wasn't. Well, it wasn't Kathy. It wasn't Kathy Freeman being thrown across the stadium on a bungee cord or something. First off, it was Kathy Freeman walking up to a platform and lighting up the torch underneath a th- pool of water. Second off, it was Nikki Webster being thrown across the stadium. Come on, Chris, get your shit together. <laughs> but you know, yeah, but I enjoyed it. Yeah, like it was, it was a nice, uh, yeah, ni- like mm. nice Olympics. Nice to have sport. I love sport. How good sport? Yeah. How good a sport? We have been talking for far too long. We've been waffling on. We've been waffling on for 90 minutes. This wasn't meant to be like this, Chris. <laughs> well, we should probably talk about what we're going to be watching in the next few weeks. What are we watching this month, Chris? What are you watching? What's on your radar? Well, the big thing that's started up for me now is Super Rugby Pacific. Woo! And Woo. this is this is like actual rugby. This isn't any of that rugby league crap, is it? No, this isn't, this isn't a game of counting the six and turning the ball over. This is proper get in there, get the ball out, hit him up rugby. rugby Perfect. Unit. Perfect rugby. This is the rugby we like. The rugby, the, the game they play in heaven. I thought that was cricket. No, that's actually what they say about rugby. Oh, okay. I like. I legitimately thought that was that was, that is the title of a wisdom book or something along those lines. Anyway, anyway. So, uh, Super Rugby. We were two rounds in. Unfortunately, there's been a bit of a complication with COVID cases in New Zealand rising. Okay. So the first three rounds have actually had to be sort of bubbled into Dunedin and Queenstown and the game games in Queenstown are being played at a local rugby club that has some of the most spectacular views of rugby I've ever seen are we talking like Phillip Island sort of views um ever watched a game of cricket from Queenstown I think so um I'm I'm starting to remember Uh, the only thing I can picture in my head right now is uh Table Mountain in uh like Johannesburg (laughs) I'm trying to find a I'm trying to find a picture that's posted in the chat, but yeah, basically it's it's in a valley, hills on two sides. It's just fantastic. That's pretty cool. I do love like aggressively picturesque sporting locations. Yeah. And because they're not having any crowds, they can do that. Yeah, cool. But one of the other problems that's had is one of the new teams, the Moana Pacifica, who are based in New Zealand, have got COVID through their team. Oh, blimey. Okay. So their, fir- their first two games have actually had to be postponed against the Blues and the Chiefs. They should be right this week to play my team, the Crusaders. Yep. Who were actually two games from two, and I don't know what to do with this because they never start well. <laughs> it's weird. It's weird being in a winning team sometimes. Well, look, we've won so many titles, but we never start well. Oh, okay. So you're like the you're like the anti-Tottenham. I know, yeah. And we'll get to them in a second. But two rounds in, um, at the moment, the Aussie teams are looking okay. But that's because they're playing the Aussie teams and the Fijian Drua, who aren't going to be much chop for the first year. Yeah, okay. So, because the Aussie teams... Australian rugby is basically based around New South Wales and Queensland, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, so, the the yeah, I think the first games cross over from round seven or eight, when the bubbles start to open up a bit more. Yeah. And you can actually get to New Zealand without too much problem. Uh, there's also... a I'm re- I'm just so disappointed I can't go to it. There's a super round this year where every game's going to be played in Melbourne. Oh wow! And that's that, and that's like all the teams, isn't it? Because Super Rugby is twelve teams, right? Yeah, so yeah, all twelve teams playing over the, the Anzac Day weekend. Hot damn! Culminating with the Melbourne team taking on the Crusaders. So unfortunately, I'll be with trial then, so I don't think I'll be able to go. But 
be watching. Yeah, see, that that'll be awesome. Um, it'll be mm. cool to to see some rugby. Like I, mm. I, rugby in Adelaide isn't really a big thing. We're on the wrong side of the brassy line for that. Um, so yeah. the reference there is that in Melbourne and South, well, the Melbourne side of Victoria and South Australia entirely, it's all about AFL, not rugby. So um, yeah, we we don't. I don't think we. Have, has South Australia ever had a rugby team? Had a rugby league team. Oh, but that's not... No, I'm talking about real rugby. No, you haven't. Okay, yeah, see, so... Not, I not Yeah, and like, even when we had the World Cup in Australia, I think South Australia, Adelaide only got like one game, one of Australia's games, and it was against Romania or something. Yeah, that's something like that. Yeah, so it'd be cool to see rugby. Where can we watch if we're in Australia or New Zealand? If you're in New Zealand, you could watch it on the Sky. If you're in Australia, it's all on Stan Sport. I'm gonna get Stan, some, I'm gonna get me some Stan Sport. Yeah, Stan have absolutely come on board with Sport. Like they've got rugby, they've got Formula E, they've got WEC, they've got IndyCar, they've got the Super Series, the Speed Series, which includes TCR and that sort of stuff. It's Damn. Super Five Thousand. Stan Sport. If you if you if you're watching, uh, if you're listening, rather, give us some money and we'll tell tell people about Stan Sport. <laughs> You really want to be beholden to Channel 9? Oh, that's a good point, actually, yeah. Okay, on other thoughts, don't give us money, just give us more sport. Yes, please. Um, but yeah, that's what I'll be watching. Uh, oh, there's another thing we'll be both watching, I'm pretty sure, but you talk about, what else are you watching? Yeah, I'm going to be uh, paying close attention to the Premier League, the uh, English Premier League of Soccer, of football, uh, this month. It's gotten really, really interesting uh, over the past uh, past month or so, and it's because... We have a title race again, which was not on the cards for a little while, but it looks like it's going to go down to the wire once again. I heard is that Manchester City were like 10 points clear. What happened? So they were, they were in fact, 10 points clear. Uh, and then they drew against Southampton, who are actually having a pretty good season. They're in the top half of the season for the first time in a while. And then they lost a game to, uh, to Tottenham, uh, which was... One of the most exciting games of the season, I've got to say. Uh, an absolute hurricane masterclass in that one. Um, the first time he's turned up all season, let's be real. Um, so that means that the gap at the head of the championship is six points. But uh, Liverpool, who are in second place, have a game in hand and play Man City still. So it's potential that that six points gets uh, overhauled. Um, okay. So that's also... There's been a lot of COVID disruption with the EPL, hasn't there? There was so, a lot. There was a lot over Christmas as well. So some teams yeah. have played way more games than others. Like for example, mm. uh, Leicester have only played th- uh, 23 games, whereas Man City and my team, Manchester United, have played 27 games. So it's a bit all up in the air at the moment. But as as we're getting closer to the end, it's getting a bit more normal. Okay, um, so that's interesting. And of course, with the Premier League as well, you've got battles on both ends of the table. Dude, the relegation battle at the moment is mental. So it was looking like halfway through the season that Burnley, who'd won one game to that point, and Watford, who'd won like one game, and Norwich, who'd won like one game, they'd, they'd won two actually, let's be fair, were just going to get cut adrift. But they've all started picking up points and it's just compressed everything. So, you know, arguably from from Newcastle down. So Newcastle is in 14th. They're actually on the second best form of anyone in the Premier League at the moment. They've scored, I think it's 13 points from their last five games. So three points for a win. They've won every game except for one, which they drew in the last five. It's been mental. 
And um, it's still only eight points. Oh, sorry, four points safe at the moment. Yeah, they're only four points safe. They were doing that badly before. So they're they're sitting on 25 points. Uh, Norwich is probably in... Well, they're in the worst position at 17 points. But, like, anyone from, from Newcastle down is in is in trouble here, including, like, Leeds United, who's uh, just sacked them... Well, left by mutual consent, um, their manager. Everton, who sacked their manager and has now Frank Lampard... Um, Watford, who sacked their second, uh, sacked their second manager this season. Um, Burnley's the only one in that bottom fight, uh, and I guess Brentford, but they've only just been promoted. Um, who have held on to their manager in Sean Dyche. So it's it's going to be very tight at the bottom, and it's kind of like it's been a while since there's been a relegation scrap that's had this many people in it. So that's going to be cool to watch. I'm excited for that because that relegation from the EPL is worth what cap a hundred billion. It's it's worth a lot, and the reason yeah. is that the the broadcast rights are just they just pump so much money in. Um, hmm. I was looking at some uh, some uh, data f- in terms of uh, club revenue just from broadcast rights, and this would have been from two thousand and eighteen. And Huddersfield Town, who was the bottom place team in the Premier League at the time, was earning the same amount of money from broadcast rights alone as Barcelona. Wow. Yeah, like the Premier League is 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 a is a is a big fish. Um, so yeah, getting relegated to the Championship is quite a substantial financial blow to a lot of these teams. I, I didn't realize Everton had Rafa Benitez and they sacked him. Yeah, well, Everton had Rafa Benitez and he sucked. <laughs> Right, okay. So like, like there's a whole backstory there and like if you're if you're a fan of the Premier League and you understand the rivalries between like the uh well even if you live in England and you understand the rivalries between towns between uh like uh, regions um the fact that Benitez was a you know was almost almost a championship winning team at, a coach at Liverpool and then was now Everton was like from the start, that was going to be a rocky relationship, and yeah, it just my my next door neighbor is from Merseyside. Uh, he supports Everton. His wife supports Liverpool, and he has been having the worst season. <laughs> Doesn't sound like a functional relationship based on that alone. Good, good thing they don't base their relationship on that alone. <laughs> good. Um, and then there's my team, Manchester United, who have just been playing so apathetically, uh, poorly that I'm. It's like whatever. I hope we get fourth. We were meant to win this season. We had Ronaldo. We had Varane. We were meant to win. That sucks. Oh. Well, you also sacked your coach, didn't you? Uh, yeah, we did. Did you know that eight of the 20 teams in the Premier League has sacked their coach this season? Okay, so if you want job security, don't go to English Premier League. If you want go job to... security, don't be a coach of the English Premier League team. Exactly. Unless, unless you're Ange Postacoglu and you're going to Celtic and turning around their fortunes. Yeah, but that's not English. That's Scottish. And that's true. different. That's true. Um, but yeah, no. I, 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 uh, he's doing amazing over there. Who is that? Sorry, Ange Postecoglou. He's doing amazing. He is over doing. There. He's doing some awesome things as well. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, got knocked out of Europe though, which is kind of sad. Ah, but they also don't care about that this year. Yeah, fair. It's, it's only Conference League. Yeah, but you know, like, it's it's cool. It's yeah. cool to be in Europe. Yeah, they'll be in next year when they win the, because then they with their. I don't know how the Scottish works in terms of their cup but having won the league cup don't they qualify for Europa automatically so I think I'm not I don't know enough about the Scottish league to know for sure um I thought it was only a league position thing 
um, but it may be different with the Scottish League. Because I'm not sure if they've actually won the the league yet. Um, no, not, not the league. Sorry, the cup. The cup, yeah. And I don't think there's, uh, I don't think there's Europa League or Champions League positions based on the cup win. I'm not sure that there is. Okay, yeah. And I, if they win, if they win, they get the win the title, win the overall Champions League playoff. Yeah, which which will be a big deal if they get into the Champions League. Uh, what else are we watching? We're watching Supercars, of course, because that starts this weekend. Uh, well, there's another cricket event going on that I'd like to talk about for a few minutes. There's always more cricket going on. Yes, Chris, go. So we have the Cricket World Cup for women in New Zealand starting tomorrow, actually. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm very excited. You guys uh, are arguably favourites, aren't you? At home conditions, yes, but you really, I really can't go past Australia. Well, we'll see really this... Ca- I really can't. Having said that, we just beat Australia in an cr- incredibly high-scoring warm-up game. You rinsed us. You absolutely yeah. rinsed us. See, like I was about to say, you say that, but you just yeah. beat us by nine wickets. God damn. Yeah, chasing 321 and 43 overs. You just absolutely rinsed us. Sophie Devine, once again, was divine. Mm. I, 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 I I love her cover drive. I, I, I have fallen in uh, love with Sophie's Devine cover drive. That's it, it was glorious. Having it's, said that, though, and it's a warm-up game. Australia bowled nine players. Yeah, that's true. I mean, Australia has nine bowlers in their starting 11. That's the thing. I think the only batsman in the Australian team that doesn't bowl is, like, Meg Lanning, who's the captain. True. Yeah. Most of most of the Australian women's cricket team are arguably all-rounders, effectively. But, but you could play 15 yeah, in the game. So, that's true. Know, warm-up game, warm-up game, but still, Sophie Devine's... Knocking at 137. It's scary. Yeah, she's con- continuing her form from the Women's Big Bash. Yeah. Uh, and that was a game out at Lincoln, which is a great little venue. Uh, the other team, I think, to watch should keep an eye out for, you mentioned them, is South Africa. Absolutely. South Africa are probably one of the up-and-coming teams in the Women's uh, women's Championship or the Women's Cricket World. Um, I, I'm i sad that Van Niekerk is missing the whole champion, the yeah, whole cup. Yeah. Yeah, he, she is... She's great. <laughs> she is she so Dano Van Niekerk was normally the captain. She captained South Africa to a uh, semi-final for the last in the last uh, Cricket World Cup, which was in Australia. Um, mm-hmm. She is missing the uh, missing the entire World Cup because what did she do? She broke her she broke her something tripping in her shower or something along those lines. Yeah, I'm just I'm trying to think, find the report on that now because it was such a really bizarre incident. She has a habit of hurting herself in bizarre ways. Well, um, she, she does. Yeah, here you go. Fra- fractured ankle uh, when she slipped on a wet surface in the, at her home. Yeah, and three three months out. That's yeah, that's that's crazy. And she's just come off as well, uh, like an incredible season with the Strikers, my team for the the Big Bash in Australia. Um, and yeah, like she would have been would have been one of the top run scorers and top wicket takers in the tournament had she not broken her ankle slipping in her house. Um, yeah, she, she had a habit of hurting herself in weird ways because a few years ago she cut herself on an, uh, while trying to cut an avocado and missed two games for the Sydney Sixers. Yes, I remember that. What a du- what a dumb way to hurt yourself. Uh, poor girl. Uh, yeah. So that'll be that'll be on as well. I'm excited for that. Yep, starts Friday with uh, New Zealand versus West Indies, and it's basically one or two matches a day 
up until the end of March, final one, the third of April. So that'll be sick. At, I... at Hackney Park again. That that oval seems to get around. <laughs> it does. Uh, what else are we watching? Uh, well, super, supercars. Oh, I'll be watching the biathlon, the the last mm-hmm. three rounds of the World Cup. Um, shout out to Norwegian Petrolhead and WD WBD Shumi, who are going to be at Oslo. I think you're going to say WD40 for a second there. Yes, my, that's where my, my brain started going. No, uh, two of our Wecathlon fam are actually going to a biathlon event together. Shumi's going from the Netherlands over to Holmenkollen in Oslo. So nice. I'm excited for that. I, I, I hope to get a lot of selfies and a lot of pictures from that. So yep. I'm going to be yep. insanely jealous though. Have, have a WEC flag and the WEC flag playing and like Cookie did to me at Daytona. That is incredible. I've got to suggest that to them. <laughs> Um, uh, also, spring Kysik season for the cycling. Yes, yes, yes. Tell us about it. Yeah, well, um, so uh, the World Cycling uh, Tour basically kicks off with what with what's called the Spring Classics, which are uh, one day races or short uh, races. Um, so you've basically got like three different types of uh, cycling. Effectively, when it comes to road cycling, you've got like the classics, which are long one day events. You've got the short tours which are generally a week and then you've got the grand tours like the tour de france etc etc so uh a few of the monuments are coming up the first one of which is milan san remo which is uh special because it is the the longest course it's something like 300 k's um from milan san remo um the week before that is strada bianche which i'm sure i've absolutely butchered but then when we get into april we get into the real stuff like uh, the the hell of the north, uh, uh, Paris Roubaix and Liège Baston Liège and the uh, Paris Nice and those those big, amazing, incredible cycling events of cobblestones and muck and grime and these are the stories where where cycling really comes to fruition. So I'm gonna be excited for that. Um, Milan San Remo I think is on the uh the 14th of March, the 19th of March. Uh, so yeah, two hundred and ninety-three kilometers of racing. So that'll be sick. I'm excited for that. And the it's just a brutal hit out for early in the season as well. Yeah, well, I, think- I mean, it's it's like some for some cyclists, these are the events that they target. They don't care about the Grand Tours. They don't care about you know the the World Championships or whatever. They care about winning one of these monuments. Yeah, and for for proof of that, Perry Rubé a few years ago, if you haven't seen the video of when Matty Heyman oh won that. God. They were they were showing that I yeah. like they were showing repeats of famous Roubaix races and I just flicked on one of them and it happened to be that one and I'd never actually seen the finish before and I was just off my tree with how exciting that was. Yeah that was if watch the in watch the backstage passing that they Orca Greenwich did. They just put it into perspective. Yeah, exactly. And and the crazy thing about a lot of these races as well is these races have been going for over a hundred years. Like yeah. Grand Tour, like as much as we like to talk about like tradition in motorsport, tradition in cycling is just old. It's like it goes way back. Yeah, well, I think you know that some of these races, like there wasn't the uh, Tour de France initially a non-stop race. I hope not. <laughs> Far it's out. Here you go, you get from here to here. First person wins. See ya. Possibly. Man, that that sounds like an awful time. That's why probably why uh, doping via the use of brandy was such a when you know, and all that sort of stuff. Back in the day. Back in back the in day, day before health. 
Um, the uh, there's another sport that I'm going to be keeping an eye on that sort of starts later on in the month as well. Yes, netball. Okay, which is not something you would think I'd be into, but I actually played a bit of netball as a as a teenager growing up. Dude, that's cool. I like netball. Yeah. I wish it was more of a thing that guys could play. Yeah. Although, although my knees and ankles are very happy that it's not. Yeah, I wasn't a bad goal defender. Oh, sorry, nice. defender. Sorry. Um, so yeah, Super Netball starts in Australia towards the end of the month. They've just had their preseason tournament taken out by the, by the Melbourne Vixens. Um, so that's going to get underway, and that's on Foxtel for the first time in a while. So cool, bit, bit more exposure there, which would be great. Nice. And for parts of the parts of the world that don't have netball, uh, it's basically how do we describe netball? Basketball, but without the bouncing and no backboard, so you have to be really accurate. And then, like, there's certain like mm. areas where you're only only certain people are allowed. It's it's a very mm. interesting and weird sport, and like, it seems to be only a Commonwealth thing. It, it well, the English, yeah, classic. So, uh, so that gets underway. Yet and, another sport the English invented for us to beat them at. Basically, yeah. And the other thing I find interesting about it is three of the teams are run by are run by organizations in other sports. Yeah, I was aware of this. Don't the Adelaide Thunderbirds, aren't they run by the Port Adelaide Football Club, the Power? Or... They, are, but that, they are, but not directly. Okay. I don't think. But the three I was thinking of, Greater West, the Giants Netball, run by Greater Western Sydney AFL. Uh, Collingwood, Footy, Collingwood Footy Club, run the Collingwood Netball Club. Oh, so they're actual, like, actual hmm. teams. Actually as... part... and, I I... Actually asked, and I actually spoke to Eddie McGuire about this one time. He actually, and he actually said, yeah, it's what we want to do as a club to just, you know, we want to have as many sporting opportunities as we can. Wow. That's as really, to, really cool. To be as part of a whole club. So you yeah. have like netball, wheelchair, footy. Basically, he has, they have like seven teams. Wow. I did not realize that. I was aware that there was some link and some like, uh, you know, partnership between netball clubs and uh, some footy clubs, but I did not realize that they were as, as explicit as you know, the Collingwood Netball Club and that sort of stuff. Collingwood, but netball. And the other one's the Sunshine Coast Lightning, which is Melbourne Storm. In the in hang, hang on, run that one past me again. So, Sunshine Coast Lightning. So, up in Queensland? Yep. Yeah. Run by Melbourne Storm. Uh, Melbourne Storm in, in Victoria? Not as crazy as it sounds because they're Fetus Club based up there as well. Okay, you you, uh, you 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 can't see me, but I'm doing the the sort of uh, like um, it's always sunny in Philadelphia. It's all connected uh, thing. <laughs> yeah, that's what yeah. I'm trying to figure out at the moment. Yeah, cool. Okay, sweet. I that'll be interesting. I haven't watched netball in a long time. Mm. You know, my mom <laughs> tore her ACL playing netball. Oh, really? Yeah. There you go. There's a fun fact for you. Great fun fact. Yeah, to give you an idea how integrated it is, the website conwoodmagpies.com.au takes you straight to the netball club. They share the logo and everything. Wow, that's cool. Okay. Yeah. Nice. So plenty to watch. Plenty to watch in the month of March. Yeah, bring it all on. And then, of course, the other thing I've got to watch is a baby. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Damn, your life is about to change. It is. Oh, boy. On that note, (laughs) thanks for joining me, Chris. Uh, a pleasure as always thank you for listening everyone I hope we haven't gone too far off the rails I hope through listening that you find something interesting that you may not have encountered before and I hope some part of our ramblings made any sort of sense 
Uh, I've been Michael Salvari. Thank you very much. Peace out. Blame Tottenham and also laugh at Tottenham <laughs> because after beating the champions one week, they went to Burnley, who was literally bottom of the table and <laughs> lost, <laughs> which is just the most Tottenham thing to do.